Hello and welcome back to Can't Keep It on the DL. Today we have Eben Britton here and he talks about cannabis. He talks about changing his career, identity, listening to intuition, and the duality that we all have within us. He also details his morning routine, his breathwork routine, and his meditation. I think that you guys are going to fully enjoy this episode. We will get into it right now. Do people call you that? <laughs> You guys can call me Eb. Yeah, my best friends call me Eb. Um, yeah. yeah. I have a weird thing with, like shortening names. And I was me like, oh, to interview Eb today. She's like, maybe don't do that yet. I'm like, it just feels right. I love that. It feels right. It feels good. <laughs> call me oh, Eb. It does for her too. It's it's like mm -hmm. actually one of the funniest things because it doesn't matter if we're out, <laughs> if we're at an event, if we're meeting people the for the first time. She's like, Oh, Linda. She's like, oh, Lynn, Lynn just came back. <laughs> I don't even know if this is what she goes by. And she's like, you know, oh, I, I totally love that. And I do that too. I do that too. But, you know, I get what you're saying, Liv, but I feel like, Dre, you would also say that you probably, for me, it feels like when we shorten a person's name, it, it feels like family. Yeah, it brings like the connection. Yeah, it's like yeah. we're connected. Make that person feel comfortable. Hey, if it's really if it's not something they want to be called, then they can They'll say let you that. Know. You They'll know? definitely let you know. <laughs> yeah. I think people are overwhelmingly positive though. That's probably of the, course. the funniest. Like yeah. every single time that she does it, it's a positive reaction. So she's probably just like there's only been so one time a guy actually said to me, he's like, actually never call me that name. And I was like, <laughs> I got it. Noted. Got it. I will never call you that. I like, love it. So, well, we kind of just want to start off. I mean, you've had a pretty wild, like we read your book. It was phenomenal, by the way. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it was really great. And I kind of just want you to share a little bit of like your childhood, how you got into the NFL, and then how you became a beautiful yogi. Mm. <laughs> whole, <you> okay. That's <laughs> a lot. In your own Just a words. little like summary of your a life. A little summary, a little yeah. background. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was born in New York City in 1987. I lived in Brooklyn until I was 10 years old. My parents got divorced when I was seven. There was a lot of chaos in my childhood, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of mental health issues, depression, anxiety. Um, there was a lot of darkness and uh, my parents, I love them both dearly and I have really beautiful relationships with both of them now. But, you know, during my childhood, they were, they had a lot going on, you know, like all of us do. We all do. And um, why that's important for this story is because when I was about eight years old, in the middle of that tumult, that tumultuous time, I was at my grandparents' house in Connecticut. And you guys are in Massachusetts. My whole family is East Coasters, so I totally get it. My, my grandmother, Estelle Parsons, she was born in Marblehead, Mass., Okay. Um, we used to go to Cape Cod when I was little, love the East coast. So I was at my grandparents' house on my dad's side. Estelle's my mom's 
mother. I was at my grandparents' house on my dad's side. We would go up there when the divorce happened. Part of the deal was my brother and I would spend the entire summer with my grandparents, or at least with my dad. And my dad would just take us up to Connecticut, get us out of the city, get us into the country. My uncles were, our uncles were up there. We'd play sports from sunup to sundown. We'd watch, you know, great movies. The walls were lined with great books, classic literature. And it was this truly blessed upbringing in the midst of chaos. You know, it's like an interesting thing how we think that a good time is all good and it's sunshine and butterflies and rainbows, but it can be both, you know, it can be really difficult and really challenging and really painful, but also really rich and really deep and really beautiful and expanded. And, uh, I was blessed to have this family of athletes and, and artists. My dad's a painter. He was also a division one basketball player. My mom is just a lifetime yogi, yogini, wizard, master body worker, but was also editor-in-chief of a number of fashion magazines in New York City during my childhood, like Marie Claire and Elle and some other really big magazines. And um, so we were up in my grandparents' house one summer and on the news in the morning came the sports segment and it was the Jets and the Giants in training camp. And it was just this light, this light bulb clicked on. And I thought to myself, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be one of those warriors. And I looked at it as this vehicle for me to transcend the darkness of my childhood. It was this, it was this way for me to prove to the world how big and strong and tough and scary I was. Um, and so my mom would never let me play football. Finally, my freshman year of high school, with the help of my dad, I convinced her to let me play. Um, <laughs> she was always worried I'd get hurt, which, you know, yeah. she's right about. <laughs> she was right. She's right about that. Um, and from the moment I stepped foot on the football field, my freshman year of high school is like everything I did, how I carried myself, how I ate, how I walked, how I trained, how I thought about who I was, was all in alignment of achieving this dream of making it to the NFL because that's what I was going to do. That's who I was going to be. If anybody asked me, yeah, what do you want to do when you grow up? It was, I'm going to play pro football. And it was interesting because a handful of those times I would get the response of, oh, that's a nice idea, but what's your plan B? And I was like, there's no plan B. That's what I'm doing. And so I did the thing. I became really good. I was physically gifted. You know, I was always the biggest kid. I mean, my freshman year of high school, I was like 6'3", 230. By my sophomore year, I was 6'6", 270. And I was surrounded by great people who really supported me on the journey and um, had world-class training and nutritional guidance and weightlifting and everything you could imagine. It was just like the best of the best that you could. And it, it was just kind of 
the blessing of my environment, you know, and the blessing of my parents. And like I said, like, even though they, they were going through their own things at the time, like they were still incredibly supportive of me on that journey. And I was very, I was very much gifted in, in having them in my life and their influence. So around my junior year, I started, or saw maybe after my sophomore year, started getting all the scholarship offers um, to attend very, you know, 10 to 20 various universities around the country. Uh, I chose Arizona university of Arizona and Tucson because I really loved the coaches. I wanted to be a part of bringing the team back to a bowl game. They hadn't been to a bowl game in 10 years. And I wanted to be a part of the team that, that brought them back to the bowl games. And on top of that, though, they were the only school that offered me that had a creative writing program as a major. And I think it was somewhere around my sophomore or junior year of high school, I realized that you can major in creative writing. And I always loved storytelling. I loved writing. I loved using words to share stories with people. That was something that just sort of, it was an intuitive, I was gravitational. I was pulled intuitively to do that. So University of Arizona was the only school that had that. It became really clear really fast. I don't know. I just knew. I was like, that's the place I'm going to go. Everybody's like, yeah, be sure you got like USC, UCLA, you've got fucking, you know, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Cal, you got all these incredible schools. I was like, yeah, I don't know. Arizona's the place. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going to Arizona, had a really great college career, just kept doing what I was supposed to do, worked really hard, team captain, all the stuff, all American, all Pac-10, all that, uh, playing my ass off, giving it everything I had still all on this mission to make it to the NFL. In 2009, I was drafted 39th overall in the second round by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Awesome. I went and played for the Jags for four years, started at right tackle, uh, became a free agent, dealt with a lot of injuries, mm-hmm. which – I've gotten into in a lot of podcasts and that ends up being a whole podcast on its own. <laughs> Had some really bad injuries, shoulder injury, back injury, was hospitalized a number of times. Um, you know, it was this kind of process. Had a really incredible rookie year. And then the rest of my career was was doing everything I could to put myself back together, you know, to get back out on the field time and time again, working through a herniated disc, really bad back injury that really disrupted my physical body. And, and, um, it disrupted the rest of my career. Honestly, I became a free agent after four years in Jacksonville, which ended on a really bad note. My last year there after coming back from this really bad back injury, had surgery, came back from the surgery, then had an infection in the disc um, I think I, I write about the beginning of that in, in my book. Um, more of that story will be told in my next book. Uh, but basically, you know, came back for my fourth year after this horrific back injury that I got fixed in surgery and then 
came back and was playing really well. And then 11 weeks after surgery, it got hit with an infection in the disc. And so I was sidelined again, eight weeks of intravenous antibiotics. A nurse would have to come to my house and inject me with antibiotics. And it was just, you know, it was brutal. You know, I could barely walk around my house. I was basically, I was almost paralyzed from the waist down and built myself back up, you know, because this is what I did. This is who I was. I was this warrior and it was like by hell or high water, I was going to play football, you know, Mm -hmm. I was going to do what I was going to do. So came back for my fourth year after the team had been sold, the head coach had been fired. They brought in a new head coach for whatever reason. I don't know. Looking back, it felt like he didn't really like me from the beginning, but you know, that's kind of, you know, whatever that was, it's the business of football was starting to reveal itself. I was also becoming in the NFL when you are a veteran and you've been battling injuries, it starts to get more and more difficult for you because your minimum pay is a certain level and teams look at you as damaged goods, basically. And it's like, well, why am I going to pay this fifth year guy half a million as his minimum when I can stick a, a fresh rookie in there and pay him like 350 K, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so as a veteran, you start to battle those types of dynamics, you know? And I was seeing that firsthand. I had been the team leader, the team captain, this guy that was the energy center of every team I'd ever been on. And now here I was, and I was like the fucking exile. You know, I was the guy that no one could really like coaches couldn't they look at me and I could see in their eye how much they loved me. But they were just heartbroken Mm -hmm. that, you know, the circumstances weren't different or they couldn't give me an answer. So. After four years in Jacksonville, I became a free agent, signed with the Chicago Bears, had a really fantastic first year in Chicago. It was an amazing experience, probably the best experience of my whole football career, living in Chicago, playing for that team. There was just incredible history. I was I carved out a really nice niche for myself as the sixth man swing tackle and monster tight end. I'd come in for 20 to 30 plays a game and do my thing and uh at the end of the year the chicago tribune wrote this great article about how much more productive the offense was when i came in the game and so i felt like i really had the season that i had always dreamed of in football you know it's like with an incredible team and an incredible city incredible fans like it was just it was a magical year we missed the playoffs basically by one game aaron Rodgers for fucking you know, Hail Mary over the top. And it was like, there you go. Um, Came back for one more year in Chicago. That year was a mess. (laughs) Basically (laughs) the whole team kind of fell apart. All the magic was gone. The business of football reared its ugly head once more. My appendix exploded. Another sign from the universe that like, and it's okay to be done. It's okay to be done. I'm not ready yet. I'm like, no, I'm going to keep doing it. And they're like, how many more signs do like, you and, and physical injuries do we have to give you? Exactly. Basically, it was like, Eb, we're going to kill you. 
you know yeah, that's yeah. That how was much what, are you gonna risk here? that was what god the universe was saying to me like mm-hmm. you're gonna die doing this if you keep doing it mm-hmm. so finally sixth year comes to an end um there's another interesting thing that, that's another podcast in itself about I had taken a lot of Adderall during my football career. And um, at some point after the after my appendix ruptured and I came back to Chicago after a week in Los Angeles because I was I was back home. My high school was retiring my jersey. And after the ceremony, I was literally doubled over in pain. And then two days later, rushed to the emergency room in Los Angeles the day I was supposed to fly back to Chicago and had an emergency appendectomy and then ended up stuck in the hospital for a week. Oh, no. (laughs) And then flew back to Chicago. Um, Why was I saying that? There was an important part of that. Oh, so I'd ran out of Adderall. And on a day when I didn't have my Adderall prescription, I took a teammate's Ritalin and I was thinking to myself, you know, it treats the same thing. I have a therapeutic use exemption to use Adderall. It shouldn't be a big deal. I'll just take this Ritalin because God forbid I have to sit through meetings without some type of medication running through my system. (laughs) It tells you where I was at mentally and emotionally. And um it'll be fine even if i fail a test i'll have a great reason it'll be cool whatever so of course the day i take the ritalin at some point i get drug tested and then after the season i find out i I failed the drug test and they say they send me this letter they say eb you're gonna have to serve a four-game suspension going into next season so that was really to me it's interesting all the injuries weren't the signs that i took that was to me the final like oh it's okay if i'm done you know it's okay if i'm done and so you can see all of that story in a movie on netflix called take your pills it's a whole documentary about adderall i was one of the main storylines in it really great movie great documentary um which gave me a lot of interesting context on my experience with Adderall and what it did for me during my career. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came out of football, a lot of pain, a lot of highs, a lot of lows. Um, I was, I was physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually destroyed literally from top to bottom. I was totally broken down. <laughs> yeah. That's exciting. And, <laughs> it's a lot you of, know, abuse on your body you know and it's like your whole identity like you work your entire life to be this person Mm -hmm. and not just this person that made it to the nfl but also someone who can handle any physical challenge and injury and it's like if you walk away from that world you completely walk away from the person that you've also created all these years Mm -hmm. yeah it's very well put i was very well put and i um I was experiencing all of that, you know, I was, it was an interesting experience deciding to be done because it was this, this slow roller coaster of emotions because 
It was the end of my last year in Chicago. I got this news that I was going to have to serve a four-game suspension at the beginning of the next season. Chicago, the Bears said they weren't going to sign me back. I'm looking at my wife and my daughter. I'm like, you know, what are we going to do? My wife said to me, hey, it's time to start writing your book. You know, I had this stack of journals and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember Mm -hmm. wanting to be a writer, you know. (laughs) And this is interesting for me, too, because, you know, going back to my family upbringing and having this wonderful mixture of athletes and artists, I had always thought of myself as a guy who had this, this, this backup plan, not necessarily a backup plan, but a a plan for who I was after football, you know, Mm -hmm. like I always felt like different from everyone because I had this underlying artistry in my blood. So I always felt like I had even just a finger print touch on the pulse of that person if that makes sense yeah Mm -hmm. during my football career and so my wife goes yeah now it's time to write your book and i was like oh yeah okay that sounds cool i like that idea and i started going through this process my football agent handed me over to a literary agent and we started this process of writing this book proposal And we wrote a brilliant book proposal. It was basically the, the, the day in day out life of an offensive lineman in the trenches, uh, the grind of the NFL. It was, you guys know who Charles Bukowski is. Mm -hmm. So he's one of my, one of my favorite writers He's written a lot of great books and he, he's, He's got a really great sense of humor. It was Charles Bukowski in the trenches. You know, it was like humorous. It was funny. It was the warrior story. It was bloody. It was kind of gnarly. Um, Got a lot of great feedback from publishers. No one wanted it for various reasons. It wasn't the red carpet story or they wanted something that was more like, I don't know, uh, like yeah, more of like a tell-all type thing they want like juicy yeah gum. they wanted like sure. weird shit of and like, you're like you know, that's not what i'm trying to say yeah, yeah and i'm just like i don't really have that to tell <laughs> you know so but it was great it was like okay so that book proposal got turned into an article that i wrote for sportsillustrated.com called what does it take to stay in the nfl and i talk about the experience of being an offensive lineman in the NFL, dealing with injuries, the pill protocols, how I used cannabis, Adderall, all of it, and how injuries are dealt with. And it got a lot of attention. I got a lot of former teammates calling me saying, dude, thank you so much. I love that. It was just so great for you to put that into words. And, you know, that's our experience. I had 
you know, I had people on both sides, honestly. I had some trainers, some of my old athletic trainers calling me up saying, Eb, that was amazing. I can't wait for your book to come out. I had other ones going, yo, what the fuck are you doing? How could you say all that? (laughs) You know, and I was like, dude, I mean, first of all, I didn't say anybody's name. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't, this wasn't about calling anybody out, any individual out. This is about calling attention to a broken system that isn't working, you know? And (laughs) so that article, though, was very important because it started me on this journey of truth telling Mm -hmm. and sharing my experience to be of service to other people, the world around me. And that book, that that article led to really cannabis advocacy because shortly after that, I got a call from my football agent and he said, Eb, I want to introduce you to Kyle Turley. Kyle Turley was one of my childhood heroes. He was another, he was an all pro offensive tackle, played the same position as me. Definitely a guy that I modeled my game after how I played the game was modeled after this guy. And he had been the tip of the spear in this movement of calling attention to cannabis as medicine for football players. Mm-hmm. Kyle had been in the depths of hell dealing with post-concussive syndrome. He was on every antipsychotic, anti-anxiety, and you know, painkiller on the market. And he was homicidal, suicidal, was in his car with the loaded gun in the passenger seat when he got this phone call literally from God. And a friend said, hey, man. Have you ever thought about using cannabis? And he said, no, but at this point, I'm willing to do anything. And basically went, got himself some cannabis and started experiencing immediate relief. Got himself off all the pain pills, all the, all the, you know, SSRIs, the, the antipsychotics and anti-anxiety meds and cannabis truly saved his life. And he was I remember even at the University of Arizona, seeing him on ESPN on a, on a show called Outside the Lines with Bob Lee, talking about why cannabis is so important for football players. And so for my agent to call me up and say, hey, man, I want to introduce you to Kyle. I think you guys would have a lot to talk about and maybe a lot to do together. I was like, fuck, man, that's so cool. That's one of my heroes. So... I get in touch with Kyle. Kyle tells me, Eb, I'm putting on a cannabis conference in Phoenix, Arizona. I'd love for you to come share your story and just be there. I'm doing some things I think you'd you'd be a great fit for. Why don't you come? I'll pay for your flights. I'll pay for your hotel. I just want you to come and share your story. Now, at that time, you know, my whole life has been following the signs of the universe you know like the football even i don't know it kind of comes to you i feel like it just came yeah and i actually wanted to ask you that that you're going down the right path right now when was your first like spiritual moment because i know you're a very spiritual person was Mm. it like in childhood or when did you first experience that oh that's a great question i think it's all been you know i've talked about this a lot um for as long as i can remember i have 
known or had faith that there's a higher power guiding my life. Mm -hmm. There's something beyond my understanding that is showing me the way. And it's interesting that question of like, when, what was, what was your question? How did you word that? Kind of like, when did you first feel that overwhelming feeling? Like there's something more powerful than you, I guess. Mm. You know, it's happened and probably not until the last few years have I become conscious enough to go, ah, oh, this is God happening in my life right now, you know? And it's just like having the, the will or the courage to take the leap of faith over and over again, even when it feels really scary and like it feels really hard and it doesn't even really make sense, but just being willing to like take that next step forward. It was like that call with Kyle, yeah. you know, and he's saying, Eb, I want you to come and share your story. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, cannabis was a huge part of my healing process during my football career. One thing I didn't share that I share about frequently is, you know, when the pills made me feel totally insane and had me waking up in the middle of the night with severe withdrawal symptoms, knifing sensation in my gut, cold sweats, chills, all of that stuff. Cannabis was always something that I could come home to. It decompressed the mental and physical and emotional stress in my body. It helped me connect with loved ones. It helped me get a good night's sleep, wake up the next day feeling recovered. And I was just following that intuitively, especially as a team captain, like to me, for a coach or, or really anybody in the, I mean, my teammates, the teammates who use cannabis, we all sort of find each other. Mm -hmm. Um, but for anyone in the organization to find out that I was a habitual weed smoker was like fucking terrifying to me you know because i'm this guy i'm the team leader you know i felt as though that would totally wreck my credibility and everything i was so when kyle asked me that i thought to myself you know i don't know exactly why this is important but this guy is asking me to come and share my story and yeah it feels right feels like the next thing I'm supposed to do. I don't know why, um, but I feel like this is a step to take. This is the next step to take. So, and I didn't really have any of the scientific knowledge that I do now. I didn't have the historical background about what the cannabis plant is and where it comes from. And how it's been so, I mean, obviously for me, it was like during my football career as a team captain, I would think to myself, man, if anybody finds out I'm smoking this back alley drug, I'm fucked. You know? Which is so insane. Cause you're like, look <laughs> at all of the things that you were taking. I know. Function. I know. In reality, you're like, I was at my worst mentally from those types yeah. of drugs that are yeah. accepted. And I was using this outside drug to actually feel better, 
like exactly. for once to feel better, to feel connected mm-hmm. to loved ones, to feel connected to yourself, your body, to be able to sleep. And you're like, this one is the one that would be the biggest problem out of everything that I'm doing. Yes. Yes. And isn't that an interesting thing? That was where my intuition was the only guiding light of my whole life at that point, because I was getting these pills from the doctors that were the prescribed accepted medications to deal with everything that I was dealing with. And yet they were making me feel like shit Mm -hmm. and making me putting me into a complete state of chemical chaos when this back alley drug, this plant that I would smoke when I came home from work was making me feel better. And I was like, well, I don't know, but just instinctually, I'm going to follow my, what feels right. And that was cannabis. So Kyle asked me to come and speak. I agree. It felt like one of those moments of God. I'm like, I don't know what to say, but I'll just come and share my story. And so I go to this conference it must have been honestly this was this was back in 2015 this must have been one of the first cannabis business conferences ever i think honestly Um, and uh i go to this conference i meet kyle he's just a mountain of a man incredible human being like everything that i had dreamed about and and held up as my childhood hero he was there super strong steel and just courage in his eyes knew exactly what the fuck he was doing and where he was going and what his purpose was and it was me kyle ricky williams and nate jackson all four four former nfl players ricky of course is just the epitome of following your instincts even when it costs you your livelihood and ricky was another childhood hero of mine i mean i remember when i was probably in high school and i saw this 60 minutes clip on ricky when he had left the dolphins and gone to do yoga at an ashram in northern california and it occurred to me i was like whoa you can be a fucking warrior alpha and also a yogi and that's mm-hmm. fucking dope you know that really yeah. hit me isn't that wild and it was that really in it was yeah yeah it was really influential for me and so ricky is there and nate was also he had just written a, a new york times best-selling book called slow getting up which i highly recommend it's an incredible book on the nfl story on the NFL experience and he had been very outspoken on cannabis. And, um, so we're all there and we go into this, this conference hall and there's probably 500 to 700 people there. And I'm thinking to myself, fuck, look at these people. Look at all these, there's military veterans and cancer survivors and mothers of the children who suffer severe seizure disorders like Dravet syndrome. And, um, traumatic brain injury survivors and you name it. There was just this incredible spectrum of people who cannabis had had a profound healing impact on their lives. And that's starting to dawn on me. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, fuck man, this is so much bigger than I could have ever imagined. And so 
it starts with me, of course, <laughs> and I share my story, and I just talk about exactly what I said to you guys, dealing with injuries, the pills made me feel worse, cannabis helped me come back to myself, it helped me recover, it helped me feel rejuvenated, and as I'm saying that, I finish up my story and I'm looking out at all these people and it's just starting to dawn on me how important this is, how profound this plant is, how I've been thinking my perception of this plant has been completely wrong for so long, for my whole life. And then Kyle starts to speak and Kyle begins with saying that the federal government, the U.S. federal government, has a patent on cannabinoids as neuroprotectants and antioxidants, patent 6,630,507, and that they've seen in studies that the cannabinoids, the chemical compounds found in the cannabis plant, actually help heal the brain after a traumatic brain injury and can help protect the brain from future injuries. And then he goes on to say that every living creature on, on earth has an endocannabinoid system and that we produce endogenous cannabinoids, mirror replicas of the chemical compounds found in the cannabis plant to facilitate everything from our mood, our appetite, our sleep rhythms, how we feel and deal with pain. And in an instant with that knowledge, all of a sudden my whole experience is crystallized and validated and legitimized. And I think to myself, fuck, my intuition, my instincts were right all along. Mm -hmm. I was just fed this lie that I was allowing to creep in and infect my whole perception of how I viewed this plant. And so it lit this fire, that experience lit this fire in me of speaking truth and then immersing myself in not only the history and the science of the cannabis plant itself, but immersing myself in these things that I've always been instinctually drawn to, holistic healing practices and alternative medicine and yoga and meditation and other plant medicine and it just started me on this journey of healing that continues to this day, honestly. I mean, um, you know, it, so I don't, we can, we can, <laughs> I'll let you, we can go from there wherever yeah. you guys want to go. Like, I know that this is something that you've probably said so many times that it's like second nature to you. But I bet when you first got to that con like concert, what am I saying? You're like, conference. When you were at the conference. It's like, you probably had that oh shit moment of not only have I always known, but this has been portrayed in my industry specifically amongst society as a whole as something so different. And just because I didn't give myself that kind of like that free pass, like we're talking about where it's like, I trust my intuition. I let it guide me. I let signs from the universe and God guide me towards my next steps, towards my like real true path. At that moment, you're probably like, whoa, all of those little signs that I had that this was helping me and this was helping my friends. And now you're really meeting people. You're like, not just physical injury, but disease, mental mm. disease, physical disease, spiritual disease. You're like, whoa, everything that I've 
seen in myself, all of these people have a story just as crazy, just themselves. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. you're totally validated, which is just an incredible feeling too. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting what you're saying. Um, and that was a really important part of the process, like finding this new community, finding this new tribe of people who, because at the end of the day, guys, we've all experienced immense amounts of pain, suffering, adversity, challenges, whatever they might be from top to bottom, you know, every single person, no one's had it easy. Even people who look like they've had it easy, they have their own issues that we can't even perceive of. It's that old idea of never judge a person until you've walked a mile in their shoes. I mean, you don't know. And I had that profound realization when my daughter was born and I was looking at her on the floor and it just, it was like, it dawned on me all of a sudden that every single person we come into contact with was this innocent, helpless baby. Mm-hmm. And we have no idea the path they've walked to get to where they are when they're standing in front of us in whatever form they, they appear in, whether it's they're angry or sad or happy or joyous. Like we, we have no idea the millions of steps they've taken to get to that point where we are in confrontation with them, whether that's good or bad, good or bad, negative or positive, whatever it is, you know? And with that insight, it's like, man, can we just have a little bit of compassion for each other? Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because you realized it with your child. I I know we've talked about it before. I've realized it so much with my friends because Mm. you start to have emotionally in-depth conversations about not just what you want in life and the things that you've been through, but really why you are the way you are. Like, why do you mm-hmm. believe the things that you believe about yourself, about others, the entire belief structure that you have in your life comes from the experiences you have. And sometimes we forget that just because somebody seems a certain way on the outside doesn't mean that it's for the reasons that you may think. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny because you saw that so much with your with your girl. And it's like, I've seen that so much, like being friends with her and some of the other friends that we have that are just really in tune with themselves and really honest about who they are, what they want and their belief structures about life. Mm. And when you start to have those open conversations, you just go, Oh my God, you believe this because something that happened with your mom or something that happened with your brother or something that you experienced through work, through physical pain, through Mm. trauma, whatever the case may be. And you built an entire belief structure about maybe one event. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. And everybody has their own series of events and life situations that brought them to that. Totally. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a great point. We always Um, have those conversations and they're always like, really? Like, that's how you think? Like, Mm -hmm. oh my God. Like even it's so funny. I know that this is going to sound outrageous because (laughs) we had a relationship coach on our podcast recently and (laughs) I was laughing so hard because I was like 
he, at the beginning of this conversation, probably thought we were in a relationship. Cause I was like, yeah. you know what we would do with like a man, we would also do with each other in the sense of like, how do you learn to communicate and how do you talk about fears and goals and how do you want to be pushed to be successful and supported and all of those things. And here I am like, Oh, you know, like we have those chats and it's funny, but it's so the truth. Mm -hmm. And that is what it taught me so much more about myself because I was finally understanding like, there's a reason that this is this person's belief or their Mm. reaction. And they have all of these situations in their lives that have made them believe X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. Right. And so do we kind of start to think you're like, like you said, you're like, what are the good and bad? What are the positive and negative? What are the things that are helping me or hurting me? Whatever the the words that you end up using. And you're like, what are the things in my life that serve me? What are some of those beliefs? What are the the things Mm. that, you know, you need to heal in order to have that next stage of happiness and fulfillment and whatever it might be? Yeah, absolutely. How old are you guys? Uh, 27 and 26. Nice. Right on. And just communication. Like when you have two different dynamics or whatever it is, you might be thinking one thing and the other person says the complete opposite. And you're like, how did you get to that point? But it's all of where you come from. So it's really crazy how that plays out. Absolutely. You know, for me, so... The blessing of my life is that it forced me to go on this, go through this healing process, you know, and my childhood and then football and all the wreckage I caused because of my childhood trauma that was totally unresolved that I carried into my young adulthood and then, you know. Here I am, I'm married and I have a baby and I have no fucking idea who I am outside of this game, outside of this identity I'd built for myself. And all of that just came crashing over me around 2016. It was just a tidal wave of fucking life came crashing over me. And it basically culminated, I talk about it in the book, I, it culminated in this conversation, this fight with my wife where I literally watched myself screaming into the phone, I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to kill somebody as I was driving to this <laughs> work at this CBD company I'd started. And it was, it was... You know, myself, I had hit critical mass. There was nowhere left to go for me. And I had to confront myself, essentially. I had to confront who I was, what I was, the state of my life, my own unhappiness, um, my own pain, my childhood, the mistakes that I had made therein, all of the things that all of the wreckage that I had caused that was a direct result of never looking at myself. That's a lot. And so, God bless her, my wife went to my mother and said, in tears, I don't know what to do with him. I don't know what to do. I'm really, you know, I don't know what, what's going to happen. 
and I was at the at the office. I, I love that I can laugh about it now because it was really it, it was painful. You know, it was mm-hmm. so painful, so fucking challenging and heavy. And and my mom called me up, and I knew that she knew. You know, mm-hmm. I knew. She's like, "Eb, how are you?" I'm like, mm. and she said, "Eb, why don't you come over for dinner?" I said, "Okay." And so I came over for dinner, sat with my mom, my aunt, my brother, and we had this conversation and it was just like, hey, you know, we come from this family that's been heavily affected by the disease of alcoholism. And these are the types of things that started happening. But the beautiful part is we have tools, you know, there's tools, there's places to go. And so from there, I went to my first Al-Anon meeting. And it was a men's meeting here in LA. It was such an incredible experience. And I went to this first Al-Anon meeting and it was this all men's group. And this guy, this lead, he started sharing his story. And it was like he was telling my story. You know, he was talking about my childhood and emotional codependency and making myself small to make everyone else okay and how that just became unsustainable because inevitably I was always putting myself on the back burner and then I'd create resentments and shame and guilt and then I'd act out and things would happen, you know, and it was just, he was telling my life story. And I walked in there just cloaked in shame and shit and this black cloud and I walked out, I just burst into tears. It just cracked my heart open. And it opened me up to this realm of, A, I'm not alone in my suffering. B, there's tools and there's people and there's support and we don't have to do it alone. And then C, (laughs) it was, I saw this really great post the other day that simplified it in such a beautiful way. You know, we think that we kind of get into this place where I want to read this thing Uh, because it was so, it was so perfect. And this really speaks to God in real time. This is the spiritual process. And this is by this wonderful woman, Vanessa Cornell, who, I'm going to have on my podcast pretty soon. And the post said, we only have one life. Keep it simple. Missing somebody? Call. Want to meet up? Invite. Want to be understood? Explain. Have questions? Ask. Don't like something? Speak up. Like something? Share it. Want something? Ask for it. Love someone? Tell them. You know, and it's like, fuck, man. I was there like just, I was literally writhing inside Mm -hmm. with all of this stuff. And all I had to do was just open up, you know, and just start talking to somebody. The challenge is, who do we talk to? Who are we safe to share it with? And that's why I think 12-step programs are really a fantastic modality for anyone who's just 
caught in a place of not knowing where to go or where to start or who's safe or who can I share with. Um, but it's like, it's simple. You know, we want to make it really complicated Mm -hmm. and it's, this is the medicine Mm -hmm. connecting with each other because nothing happens when you keep it all locked up in isolation. Nothing happens. We can't heal that way. It's impossible. We're not going to do it. It has to come out. And you it's have- so tough because those are the hard conversations. And yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter. What I've realized too is like, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're this big, tough football player, or you're just somebody that has the identity that like, I have it together. I'm good. Everything's fine. Or the opposite where you're like, I can't share my emotions because in the past when that has happened, Mm -hmm. everything is crumbled. Like you said, like, Oh, you had to make yourself smaller to make everybody else. Okay. Everybody has those preconceived notions, but the connectedness is really what saves us being able to share with people that we trust and share with people that have our best interests and just want to be there to, to support and understand and, just genuinely be there as a friend, that is what heals over time. And I can't even imagine what you were going through at that time because it seems like everything was crashing down all at the same moment. And it's like, you're just going to explode. There's nowhere to go. And for so many years, like, you know, like as human beings, we like to make up these cute excuses, right? Where it's like, I am so career driven that all of this has to wait. Yeah, all of the emotional baggage, everything that's currently going on, everything that's gone on in the past, like that all needs to be on the back burner because Mm. this is my main focus, the NFL, my career, my life, my children, whatever the thing is, right? Like this is my focus. Mm. And I think sometimes as human beings, we forget that like our number one goal is to connect with other people. And to share not just our feelings, but our experiences and the things that we've seen and done and been through. And without that, you lose such an important piece of what life is about. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I forget who said it, but someone was talking about how like in life, everyone wants to highlight the happiness and the goods and all the things in life. But part of life is sorrow. It's pain. Mm. It's, you know, going through things with people and even you going to that meeting, it's so beautiful to see that you're not alone and everyone suffers, like you said, in their own way. So I think, you know, just putting that all together, it's just beautiful to know that we're not alone. We're all together. We've all had our things. Um, But yeah, you going through, so this actually kind of translates to where I was going to bring you to next. So you're going through all this hardship. You're in a dark place. How do you one, start to come out of that. And I know meditation is a huge piece of your life. And I think Mm -hmm. it's so important. Um, What would you say is like for someone who's struggling right now, like Mm -hmm. what is a good way to start meditating or to start kind of like getting out of your head and into your body? Mm, That's a great question. Um, You know, first, that was the start of my healing process was stepping out of isolation. And finding my way by God's grace to that, that men's meeting. And that is, I think you guys, you guys said it so perfectly with what you just said. 
connecting with people, you're not alone. Know that you're not alone. There's always someone there. Whether you can get to a men's, you know, a, a, whatever. You can look them up, Al-Anon, AA, whatever. If that feels right for you. Um, those are available all over the place. 12-step programs are amazing. If that doesn't feel right, I guarantee you, you have a friend, a family member who you can call and just express what you're going through. You know, you can, there's somebody out there who is absolutely willing to hear whatever you have to say and you're totally safe and you're supported and you're loved. And even though it doesn't feel like that, that's the truth, you know, and you just have to take that one step, make the call, you know, fuck, maybe it's somebody on the street. If you don't have anybody you say like, Hey, can I talk to you for one minute? <laughs> honestly <laughs> there really are so many people though that are there to help just like i think like you know sometimes we think there's no one there and it's like well if somebody came to you you know it's open arms like full attention like how yeah. how do we work you through this and sometimes we forget that often the people around us especially have the same hearts that we do and they would be there for us just like we would for them mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and 99% of the time, we just want somebody to listen to us. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't need an answer. We don't need, you know, because the, usually there isn't an answer. It's just like we need an ear. We need a friendly ear that can just hear what we have to say. Yeah. So in that way, too, prayer is super powerful. You know, develop. There's a higher power here, guys. There's something beyond our understanding that's always here. It's omnipresent. God, the universe, spirit, whatever you want to call it, you can always pray. Um, and I'm not a religious guy. I'm just deeply spiritual and have a connection with God as it occurs to me. And we all have a connection to that if we want to cultivate that. So for the meditation, um, I was saying this yesterday. I've been meditating now for probably six years every day for the last six years. And beyond everything I do, I don't think there's anything that has been more transformative for me. Um, and meditation, especially for a Western mind, sounds really either boring or intimidating. <laughs> mm -hmm. And most people think, have this perspective, pers perspective, perception that you need to be in a cave on a mountaintop or in mm -hmm. an ashram or in some meditation center. You need to see a guru to give you a mantra you don't really need any of that. You can do meditation anywhere, anytime. If you feel like you need something to guide you, there's a lot of great apps. My favorite app is called Stop, Breathe, Think, but apparently they're shutting down the app on April 14th, which is kind of oh. <laughs> So if you see it before April 14th, you're in luck. If not, yeah, yeah. Out. So I really like that app. I've loved it. I guess, I don't know, maybe not everybody has loved it. It's been, it's been really, uh, <laughs> it's, like it's, it's a been a total gift for me. <laughs> um, because they have a lot of guided 
meditations, but they also just have a timer, which I use now. I use the guided meditations forever to get me going. There's also Calm and Headspace. So there's plenty of apps out there to get you started. If you feel like you don't really want to do that, literally, I tell people this all the time, if you set a timer for five minutes, five minutes, and just sit in a chair with your feet flat on the ground, or if you feel like lying down in savasana or corpse pose with your feet together, let your feet flop apart, arms at your sides, palms facing the ceiling. You can close your eyes and you can meditate lying down flat on your back in savasana. Whatever works for you. You don't have to be fucking cross-legged like you know, a monk in the Himalayas. You don't have to do anything in particular. Just sit with a straight spine, your feet flat on the ground, set a timer for five minutes, and just bring your attention to your breath moving in and out of your nose. And every time your mind goes off and wanders somewhere, as it does, as it surely will, as it always will, because our mind is built to think and figure out and diagnose and future trip and fantasize about the past and think about our survival and analyze all the information we've ever received. It's constantly doing this. There's no stopping it. No matter how much you meditate, I promise you, I've tried, you know, and it just never goes anywhere. And that's just what it does. And you talk to all the spiritual teachers, all the gurus in the world, they say the same thing. You're never going to turn off the mind. You will change your relationship to it, though. That is what you will do. And so you're sitting there. Your feet are flat on the ground. Your spine is straight. Your eyes are closed. You're starting to tune into your breath going in and out of the nose. And then all of a sudden, your mind flies off on some train of thought. And maybe you go off on that train of thought for so long that you forget you were meditating. Then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, I'm meditating. And you just bring your attention right back to the breath going in and out of the nose. And you do this just over and over again. You might do it a thousand times in five minutes. But what you're doing is you're cultivating your focus. You're cultivating your concentration. You're quieting the mind, believe it or not, because you're developing this space. You're starting to develop this space between you, the observer, the spirit, the soul that is you, the essence that is you and your mind. Mm -hmm. And you begin to realize, oh, I'm not my thoughts. That's a whole other thing. I don't even know what that is. I'm not even my feelings. I'm actually, I'm not even this body because the breath, once you really trip out on this, mm -hmm. you realize the breath just goes. You don't even have to do the breathing. The breath just goes. The heart just beats. The lungs just expand. All of it just does its thing. The blood circulates. It all happens, you know, and we're just here to observe it. And so your meditation practice, just start with five minutes a day. It'll change your life. It'll change your day. Do it in the morning. Do it in the afternoon. Whenever you can fit it into your schedule, you do the meditation because it will literally transform your life. It'll change you as a person for the better. I love and, it for five minutes too, because I mm -hmm. feel like that's that's part of the hiccup in all of this, right? Like sometimes it's this huge thing and you need all of this guidance and you're not enough to do it on your own. You need to search elsewhere and 
that couldn't be more of a lie. It's like yeah. when you're trying to work out and go to the gym, it's like you don't need mm-hmm. to be there for three hours doing every crazy thing that you've seen in the world. Like yeah. 30 minutes consistently is going to be what's going to get you results over time. And it's like the same thing with meditation. It's like if you can commit to five minutes a day, doing that after a week is what's going to make you feel really good versus, oh, I need to learn everything I need to learn about this. I have to learn from the best in the world. And um, it's like enough. You'll get there in due time. (laughs) Like you can check all of those boxes in the future if that makes you happy. But what can you do right now? Even mm-hmm. if you're busy, even if you're traveling, mm-hmm. even if you're hectic, it's like we all have five minutes and that five minutes could be the thing that inevitably changes your life in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. My book is really, if I did anything with my book, it was to break down these these barriers of all the things we think we need to mm-hmm. start living the life that we want to live you know mm-hmm. it's like dude we have everything right fucking here right now you have everything you need inside of you right here right now you don't need anything you don't need anyone it's fun to have all these things and people it's beautiful that's why life is such a gift mm-hmm. but as far as being the person that you are destined to be your greatest self that's in you already you don't need anything. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Life's Just start. Simple. We don't complicate it, you know? Exactly. That's what we started <laughs> with, didn't we? Yeah. Life is so simple. We love to make it complicated. <laughs> I love that, though. You make it easier. And you kind of, I love that you said that you will think other things because when I started meditating, I would always beat myself up. I was like, oh my God, yeah, I can yeah. never just not stop thinking, even if it right. was like two minutes. <laughs> And even that's like, great. I'm like, this is awesome. But you start to learn it as you go. And there is one thing that I have to ask you before we go, because I love okay. people. Okay. What is your go-to morning routine? Oh, my go-to you morning routine. You got to get detailed with this. <laughs> I love that. Uh, morning routine. It is, for me, it's the most important part of my day. Most important part. Because you set the tone for the whole day. And once you do your morning routine and you set the rudder of who you are and what you are and what this day is going to be, life is a miracle. It's only, you're fucking, you're flying. You're a beacon. Um, so for me, I wake up. I drink a couple big glasses of water with lemon and salt. Lemon and salt are really good because they, they're they great for your adrenal glands and your hormone production. It also warms up your digestive system. Your stomach gets your stomach acid. Your, your digestive juice is flowing. And that's room temperature, not cold water. So I drink a couple big glasses of water. I go outside. I do my breath work, which is three to six sets of, I do, I start with a long inhale in through the nose, a six second inhale like this. With a really quick exhale, two second exhale. 
and I do that for about two minutes. And then from there, I do three to five sets of what people would know as Wim Hof breathing or mm -hmm. Tumo breathing. Wim Hof brought us in the West, he brought us this ancient breathing technique called Tumo, which was, I don't know what the word is because it's not invented, but it's, it was innovated. It was, you know, brought out of the ether by Tibetan monks living in the Himalayas who had to endure severe weather situations. And so they would do the, the in the nose, the Wim Hof that we know as Wim Hof. It's like 20 to 30 breaths, 30th breath, hold it all out for a count of 30. After 30 seconds, you take a deep breath in, fill your body all the way up with air, top it off. Even when you feel like you're full, hold that in for a count of 10 and then let it all go. And I'll do three to five sets of that. And then I'll do some pretty basic stretching. Um, depending on the day, I have this thing called the X3 bar, which is an amazing, mm -hmm. have you guys, you guys know that? Yeah. Uh, the best, literally, I mean, I think it costs like 600 to 800 bucks, but literally the best piece of the best 600 <laughs> to 800 bucks I've ever spent in my life. You don't need any other equipment than that. And so I'll do that after some light stretching, which is basically 10 to 20 minutes on the X3 bar, depending on the day. I'm teaching a lot of yoga. I'm super active. So if I'm feeling a little sore, I might, instead of the X3, do 10 to 15 minutes, little yoga flow. But then after that, I'll do my 20 minutes of meditation. And then my day is started. You know, mm -hmm. I might take the dogs for a walk, whatever's going on. I mean, it depends. My... My schedule is pretty, it's as Dave Meltzer says, which I love, he says, I'm active. I'm not, it's not busy. I'm active. I'm very active. So my schedule is very active and full. So, but that is the first hour of my day is right there. That's what I do. Oh, I forgot. So after I drink the water though. This is really important, and this has been a big part that I've added in in the last like few months. I have affirmations that I've written on my on a little note on my phone, and I'll read these affirmations out loud to myself. And I'll read them to you guys right now. Um, and normally, you know, I've been. I have been, um, I've been not so good at not looking at my phone, like first thing in the morning. I think it's really, if you can do it, don't look at your phone until after 9am. Mm -hmm. If you can do it, it's hard. And lately I've just, I've kind of fucked off on that. And it's, <laughs> I don't know you know, it hasn't affected me the way it has in the past, perhaps because I'm so anchored in a really, I've really set a solid foundation for myself. 
but it's always something I'm striving for. And we're always striving to just feel as good as we can, you know, like what's more important than feeling good in our life and being the best possible version of ourselves every day. So after I drink my water, I'll read these affirmations out loud. Ready? Ready. <laughs> nice. In sync. <laughs> I love it. You guys are the best. You guys are so cute. Here we go. Today is a magnificent day. I approve of myself. I love myself. I support myself. I approve of myself. I love myself. I support myself. I am an overflowing fountain of God consciousness. In the infinity of life where I am, all is well. Everything is perfect, whole, and complete. Everything I need, everything I want, everything I desire is already on its way to me. Everything happening today is happening for me. I am a magnet of divine love and prosperity. I am open and ready to receive the abundance of the universe. I am released from all doubt. I am released from all fear. I am released from all attachments. I am one with the universe and the universe is one within me. I am love. I am joy. I am compassion. I am success. I am power. I am greatness. I am a beloved child of the light, a son of the great sun. The eternal flame of my soul burns bright, guiding me through the darkness of night into the light of day. I am an unlimited being drawing energy and power from an unlimited source in an unlimited way. So it is. Oh, that's beautiful. That's like Boom. beautifully written. That is an amalgamation of some of my, my favorite teachers. There's a woman, Louise Hay, who wrote a book. I talk about it in my book. Uh, she wrote a book called You Can Heal Your Life. She wrote a bunch of incredible books. Louise Hay is just the fucking queen, man. She's such a she's the one. <laughs> she's such a powerhouse. And she really reading her book, You Can Heal Your Life, turned me on to the power of affirmations. Mm -hmm. And from a scientific standpoint, your mind, your brain, it's it is the most powerful most incredible computer the universe has ever manifested and in that it functions on a very specific programming and most of that programming is running on software that we didn't intentionally program it's childhood shit it's all the authority figures our parents our teachers the culture that we've been surrounded by and immersed in for our entire lives and it runs this programming that creates the perception of our lives how we view ourselves and the world around us and our place in it and so much of our adulthood our adult life becomes about deprogramming all of that bullshit because it doesn't serve us and reprogramming it with what serves us in being the greatest version of ourselves. And so you can say whatever you want. And I, I encourage people like take that word for word or whatever you feel like you need to hear. What do you, what's the thing like 
you wish somebody would say to you. Mm -hmm. Say that to yourself. Mm -hmm. Just start saying it to yourself. And it's interesting because I know I keep saying this, but I did write this in the book. <laughs> this is an important part. When I started doing these affirmations, I heard there was this, this little voice, this little self in the background that would laugh and be like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> sure, man. Sure. And I just say, fuck it. And I just kept doing it. And now that voice doesn't even exist anymore. You have to override. Yeah. You just override it. You refucking program this thing, man. Because yeah. this is your life. This is your life. Yeah. And you almost just sit there and you're like, I feel silly. And it's like, why do I feel silly? Like, yeah. Why do I feel silly? I care about. This is something I want to remind myself of daily. And what, like, where does that come from? And that's more of a societal pressure. Like, oh, what would my friends think? Or what would these people think? It's like, why the fuck do you care? Like, what is your goal? Like, mm -hmm. you want to believe these things. Not only are you going to say them daily, but you're going to embody them. You're going to work towards these things and create them in your physical reality. Like, even it was so crazy because one of the things that, you had said reminded me of I had had a Reiki session done in Boston mm. and she just it, it was honestly like she was the first person that I had ever gone to and I don't know if this was the first session or the second but she had said to me she was like repeat this in your head I am mm. powerful I am purposeful yeah. I was like okay I can do that and I started mm. saying that over and over again I am powerful I am purposeful and mm it stuck with me. And she yeah. said, okay, now add in, she goes, say, I am whole, I am complete. So I am powerful. I am purposeful. I am whole and complete. And that. that has stuck in my brain since. And it's not even necessarily like a daily practice. It's just, you know, sometimes someone tells you exactly what you needed to hear at that moment. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's just like this. It's like, what, what is it that you want to say to yourself? What is it that you wish someone would say to you? What is it that resonates with you? Yes. Use that and just kind of go with it. Allow that little like judgmental brain to just kind of hit the back burner for a second and just do the things that you actually want to do. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I love it, guys. Well, you just summed that up perfectly. What a way <laughs> to end this podcast. I'm going to play I, that. Like, I'm actually going to like clip that and like put it on TikTok and play it like as a loop. Please send it to me. I'll, I'll yeah. fucking post that too. <laughs> I will. I think, it, I think it'll be very beneficial for people as well who like when I say that that was written beautifully, yeah. I genuinely mean it. It captivated so many areas of life and so many feelings and so many experiences all in one it's definitely mm. longer i mean you probably can't recite that just off memory alone but it's something you could definitely play as part of a meditative practice yeah yeah i mean it kind of gets to the point where it's just like the running mantra you know mm -hmm. probably run so, your head at this point <laughs> it does it does you know what what better i'd rather have that running through my head than you know the naysayers that used to run through my head that's for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming I on know. our show. You were awesome. It. And you guys are awesome. Kind of where can people find you if they want to know about you? Maybe just drop some of your handles here. Your book. Your book was phenomenal. Definitely yep. must read. We have it. <laughs> I love that. You guys are so awesome that you'd have that right there. So 
follow me on Instagram and tw- and Twitter. I don't really do Twitter that much, but I'm there. Uh, at E D S Britain. That's my first three initials and my last name. E D S Britain. Um, Instagram is my most frequent social media feed. Uh, also on TikTok at Eben Britain. I'm on YouTube. You can check out my podcast, The Ebb and Flow. It's on all podcast platforms, Spotify, iTunes. We'll all link the good everything stuff. too. We'll yes. link everything below so people can just get right to your page. Awesome. You're the best. And then, yes, my book. It's available on Amazon, The Ebb and Flow, Basic Tools to Transform Your Life. Check it out. It's there. Uh, I can't thank you guys enough. It was really, I love this convo. You guys are doing great work. And uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for being here. We'll definitely have to have a part two. I love it. I'm happy to. Just let me know.